Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Hey all, Haley here. We have a great episode for you today. There's only one problem. When we recorded, I had my microphone settings wrong, and so the sound is not great, and it's a little hollow. So I want to apologize for that ahead of time and just give you guys a heads up. But like I said, it's a great episode, and we're excited for you guys to give it a listen. Enjoy! Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Haley, we are back with another colorful episode of Pop Psych 101 here, talking about the recently released on Disney Plus, Turning Red. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to talk about it. A lot of people have a lot of different feelings across the internets. Yeah. But before we get into the movie, you know, this movie is set in 2002 in Toronto, Canada, mm-hmm. and really plays into that like post millennium vibe and music and clothing and trends and, and language. So, I, you know, the question that I found myself thinking about was like, gosh, what was I doing in 2002? And like, what were the things that I was into? I'm a little bit older than these girls were at that time. But you know, certainly clued in, I would think to enough of the trends that were going around. So, uh, you know, were were you with these trends that you saw in the movie things that you could kind of identify with or relate to at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, in 2002, I was about their age. Um, and so very much similar to their experience, like the gigapets and the boy bands and just kind of like the way the friends interact with each other, passing notes in class. Um, all of that is just very 2002 girl experience, I think for that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like preteen experience. Well, yeah, and I I loved that it was set uh, in such a specific like time capsule because it's pre social media, it's pre you know uh, like cyber bullying. It's you know all the bullying that takes place is just you know uh, in person bullying, very old school in your face of uh, like school bullying. But yeah, man, I, I mean the biggest thing for me was was some of the music. I mean, not that I was into boy band and, and music and stuff like that, but I certainly, you know, like a lot of kids like uh watched TRL after school mm-hmm. and things like that around that time. So I ve- I very much felt like, oh, this is I don't you're probably not going to agree with me, but it felt like it was made for people uh a little bit kind of closer to our age as much as it was made for for kids today. Yeah, um, there's a lot for me to say about that, but um, no, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Actually, I'll I'll give a, a clarifying statement now. The um the details I think definitely were for our generation. Yes, yes. Like the specifics, you know, the fake tattoo necklaces. Those they were like those stretchy. Necklaces. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 
and that and and again like the tamagotchi pets and things like that like all those details are very specific the only thing i think that was missing was that little like s-shape thing i don't think anybody drew that at any point oh well was that just an american thing or was that a canadian thing too i I don't know it i mean it swept the nation here i would be surprised if it didn't make it just north of we were all drawing those s's in our notebooks yeah that's true but yeah, I definitely was super into Aaron Carter and the band Insane. Okay. Um, I nice. had like 27 posters of Aaron Carter in my room or something like that. Like roof and everywhere. I was so in love with him. <laughs> yeah. And then I totally understand the boy band thing because I was like an NSYNC girl through and through. Yeah. And I, I loved seeing the cell phones, you know, with like T9, you know, little texting, uh-huh. no emojis, just having, having to type out a, a colon and a, a dash and a... Uh, close parentheses. I mean, just really brings me back. I think I think the kids really don't understand these days uh, how much more complex communication had to be just to get oh, a yeah. message across. Like, hey, there's a panda in the bathroom. Well, and also, yeah, you never would have used a dash or a colon or anything like that because that would have wasted character space that you needed to send the message. So much. We were yes. <laughs> yeah, we could only use a certain number of characters. That's right. Back in mm-hmm. our day, you only had so many characters you could use per text. So funny. And it was less than a tweet. Yes. Yeah. But as, as a parent now, it's like I, I kind of wish I wish my daughter wasn't having to grow up in, in the times that it's like, oh, you know, it was it was not so bad when if you wanted to text someone, you could only text one person at a time. You didn't have to get sucked into accidental group chats and mm-hmm you know, Twitter threads and all these kind of crazy things that are, you know, our social media uh, has brought upon us. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of things too that are benefits from it. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah so a, a love letter to 2002 um, <laughs> for whatever that was worth, you know, when people, and hopefully we're, we're able going to be going back to live concerts. You know, I don't know if you're, if your comfort level is back to that point, but I'm, I'm excited to be able to, you know, return to live music scene soon as well. So, you know, seeing the girls really yeah. excited about it. Yeah. I literally thought that while I was watching it, where I was like, oh, I miss concerts like this. Like, they're so fun. Well, Just yeah. Like that, that energy. I also like, I recognize that I'm getting old. The so chances are that energy will never come back. <laughs> having like one band or one concert that you're looking forward to for so long (laughs) yeah and just like so excited about it screaming your lungs off excited about it like i went to um like a fully masked up harry styles concert last year and it was like fun nice but also like sure i you know i adore the kid but i'm not like squealing over him you know because i'm just getting old (laughs) <laughs> that's okay you can you can still squeal you can still beatbox you know we'll we'll try to reconnect you with with may and priya and their friends and and we'll bring that energy back i don't think that i want it <laughs> all right <okay. laughs> but thank you <laughs> all right so well, let's dive let's dive deeper into why Haley doesn't want that energy back <laughs> right after this break Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. 
Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Turning Red is a 2022 American animated fantasy comedy produced by Pixar Animation Studios and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. It was just released. Well, uh, we are recording this on on uh, a couple days after its release. The movie uh, follows Maylin May Lee, a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian student who transforms into a giant red panda when she gets into a state of strong emotion. And this is based on the director, Domi Shi's, uh, some of her own experiences growing up. So a really interesting story, one that we were talking about before we started recording, is is not a story that we get very frequently. Like I was thinking, you know, this age of child like development is not often an age that you see on screen. You know, usually mm-hmm. you get like that sort of like six to eight, eight four five six seven eight range and then you get some of those older teens like you and i were talking about onward onward feels like a little bit older Mm -hmm. yeah there's nobody between the ages of 13 and 16 yeah that's that's what i was feeling like when watching Mm -hmm. these girls i was like oh this is such a unique like time in in childhood with Mm -hmm. very specific challenges yeah i think what was very interesting so in one of my favorite Pixar movies, Inside Out, at the end of it, there's a moment where one of the characters says, like, what does this button do? And they, like, push a button, and the button, I think, says puberty. It totally does, yes. And I always thought that they would come out with a second Inside Out about puberty, but I'm wondering if this is kind of how they are doing that. Mm. Well, I think there's still time. I would love a second Inside Out. I loved Inside Out. Well, because, yeah, so, but to your point here, it's like, you know, those emotions that are coming up in this this age, right? This time of, of, uh, of development and just time mm-hmm. in, a, in a child's life. Um, it's all of these new experiences. And obviously in Turning Red, they use this sort of metaphor of turning into a giant red monster, as mm-hmm. May says, uh, when she first turns to kind of create this metaphor of what it's like to kind of be out of control of your emotional or in some cases like physical experience or physical development. Yeah. Well, and I also think like you have at that stage in your life, you've kind of like finally figured out like, okay, awesome. Like when I'm feeling frustrated, this is how I communicate it. Or like when I'm feeling sad, this is what I do. And, and then puberty hits, whether you're male or female and it like throws so many new chemicals in there that it like has the same types of feelings, obviously, because all humans have them, but now it makes them so much more intense and like so much more kind of out of nowhere. And, and then as we as adults know, like once you kind of get through that stage, again, you relearn how to manage it you relearn how, or I guess how to react to it, how to engage with it. And also, like, the chemicals kind of settle out again as you get older. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you made a great point because, right, it's like an eighth grade is such a unique time, specifically in life of, like, education, too. We see, Mm -hmm. as we're introduced to May, she's like, 
killing it in grades and flute mm-hmm. and and her her friend group and she just she comes across as so confident she's kind of got everything together even though she's you know deals with her mom and and um running the temple the sort of family business um you know there are some kind of minor conflicts and wanting to hang out with friends and doing things with family as mm-hmm. they kind of it's so interesting they set it up the sort of intro is honor thy mother and father right mm-hmm. and for them to immediately set it up as you know this relationship that we see with with may and her mother in particular seems great on the surface like she comes she wants to go and clean with her how many times have you seen a you know a 13 year old wanting to go home and clean instead of stay out with their friends and go do karaoke mm-hmm. the way they set this up was like pre-puberty everything is totally fine and like great. And then puberty hits. And that's suddenly when the child starts asserting their independence, which like, no way. Like you said, like what 13 year old, that's not exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. And like, there's certain things like she supposedly had never even like noticed boys before, but like what fourth grader doesn't have a crush, you know, like what third grader doesn't have a crush. Totally fair. And yep. so I think that kind of like, you my my daughter will tell you all about the the boys that she she sees in kindergarten now, which is horrifying. But yes, <laughs> it starts early. It's lovely, which we could, you know, talk about that a lot in the like political sphere of like of how children notice relationships and notice gender and notice things like that from a very young age. It's not something that yes. only happens as teenagers, right? I think sex ed generally starts getting taught in like sixth grade. A lot of girls and and a girl, a lot of girls have already had their periods by sixth grade. So like, unless you're, maybe it starts earlier than that. I don't know. But like, oftentimes we almost wait too long to talk about the experience of growing up. Yeah, I think yeah, that's that's a perfect transition because you know we we jump forward a little bit as as May you know she has the crazy nightmare when the panda basically shows up that first morning right mm-hmm. um, and she's in the bathroom and what's what happened to me what's wrong with me you know she doesn't tell her her mom or her dad I think she's embarrassed maybe a little ashamed um all sorts of feelings going on confused yeah oh my gosh absolutely and then when mom finally finds out it's it's not that her period has arrived it's actually that she's her panda has arrived it's the other problem Mm -hmm. as she (laughs) told as she says to her husband but then when um when they finally have that first conversation about it the mom actually says you know that uh we waited too long or i waited too long Mm-hmm. And I think that that is such a common, I want to say mistake, you know, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I think what, what happens for a lot, and, and as a parent, I can certainly relate to this is there's recognizing what your kid needs in, in their own learning experience. And there's recognizing what you are ready or are not ready to talk to them about. Mm-hmm. But if you go based on your own comfort level as opposed to what they're experiencing and what you're what you're paying attention to you know then then you could end up like what happened with may which is she's going through this experience not being prepared not having any idea that this was something that runs in the family that this was something that uh her mother and her grandmother had also experienced Mm -hmm. and it's horrifying as opposed to just being something like oh yeah no i knew this was coming here it is and this is how we deal with it yeah and i think particularly in our culture 
if your child does bring questions to you, they've already been thinking about it for a long time. Like they don't just like, oh, I have this question about my experience and bring it straight to most often. And so it is really important. I think you said like that balance between when you're comfortable versus what they need. And I think that there are a lot of ways that you can balance that out with your own discomfort. If you have discomfort in these areas, particularly we now live in the age of the internet. So like you almost need to be more careful because before when like Johnny in your class would tell you something about like puberty or sex or whatever, you would be like, okay, whatever it's Johnny. But now they'll go on the internet and they'll think that that is the actual truth. And we don't know Mm -hmm. where they're finding things, what they're finding, et cetera. And so it almost is more important to give them information sooner rather than later or a place for them to turn to. So for example, if you get a book on puberty or something like that and you give it to your child and they may be like, oh, I don't need this. I don't care. And you say like, okay, well, it's here when you need it. They'll go to it when they have those questions. Like they'll be like, oh, I have that book and it's in my room and mom and dad doesn't have to know that I'm looking at it. And even if you gave it to them, you know, quote unquote, too early, they won't use it until they're ready to look for it. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, like full disclosure, like my wife and I, we weren't totally sure how or what our six-year-old daughter was going to notice about some of these conversations because it happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the mom asks, like, did the red peony bloom? Uh-huh. Um, and then she brings all the the medicine and the, um, the pads in, and then she brings mm-hmm. pads to school. So we, you know, talked amongst ourselves like, hey, what are we going to how are we going to explain this to our six-year-old who, you know, might have some questions because these are, mm-hmm. you know, words maybe she's never heard before or, mm-hmm. you know, things that she might not have any any sort of sense of what that is. But I think because she's six, it just kind of went over her head. We didn't have yeah. any questions that we had to answer. But I think if we did, we were very much on the same page of we don't hide. We don't sort of use uh, weird language. Euphemisms, it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I just think we do a disservice when we do that stuff. Well, and it can also be very confusing when they start to have questions because then they try to put the information they have in with the actual information and that can get confusing. My advice is always be as honest as possible with or be 100% honest and direct with as little detail as possible. So, you know, if she says like, what's a pad? You say like, oh, well, some, some teenagers, so already she's like, okay, this is not for me, right? A so later like, thing, yep. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like some teenagers go through an experience where they need a little bit extra supplies to make sure that they're staying healthy and staying clean, um, and pads yep. are something that girls use. I think you'd want to be gender neutral about it. But, of course. But like, I, I, and then she would be like, oh, okay, like, cool, I understand yeah. and that's it. teenagers. Yep. I understand, I understand health, health tools products. and I understand yeah. staying no. healthy. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. then she's going to move on because that's right. That leaves that's no enough information nothing interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And then when that's she right. gets older and she hears it again, she goes, Oh, when they said fools for health, this yes, is how that, is that, that fits was. in with that. Mm-hmm. Rather than if you said like, Oh, well her red guinea bloomed. She'd be like, okay, what flower, yeah. like what flower? I know. 
how does a flower go into this? <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And the mom, the mom also says like keeping petals clean and, and all these things. And, oh, and yeah. you, you see, oh, you see May in the shower, just like cowering, uh-huh. you know, knowing, I'm sure she knows to a certain extent that her mom's talking about one thing and that what she's actually experiencing is this yeah. very much this other that thing. Age, she's 13. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure she knows exactly. I mean, they, they reference like becoming a woman, very frequently throughout throughout yeah. the movie and it's it's so interesting because obviously may is going through this emotional transition even if she's not whether she's going through the physical transition or not she is kind of experiencing all these emotions that she you know is surprised by confused by you said you know before she has the panda experience you know they uh, they kind of have this shared crush on the local convenience store clerk Mm -hmm. and then may finds herself doodling about him and then sort of noticing specific features and it's like oh where are these emotions coming from Mm-hmm. And I, I I really like that the way that they sort of illustrated that growing sense of awareness, because I do think that that's one thing for this sort of like preteen age of like, oh, like I didn't realize that this was how I felt about this until until my mom is looking at my diary and oh my gosh, now I'm embarrassed. Wait, why am I embarrassed? And then, oh my gosh, talk about like a... Uh, uh, a shaming moment to have your mother Ugh. take your your private notebook scrawlings and and confront a older boy um, and accuse him of doing things to you in front of other kids in your class. Oh my god, I could Ugh. I could barely so watch that scene. Yeah, yeah. What I think is so fascinating is how in this movie they were able to maintain that they have a really good relationship while making the mom not likable the whole movie. Like usually if a mother or a father in a movie is unlikable, it's hard to believe that they're a good parent and that there's a good parent-child relationship. But in this movie, there's a fantastic parent-child relationship. And also at no point, at almost no point, is the mother likable. She's just like repeatedly like mortifying and then aggressive in ways that is a lot and then she's embarrassing in other ways and then i guess at the end but like by the end it was just like everybody was everything was great <laughs> um sure <laughs> but yeah yeah so, so you know they yeah it really is um you know so okay so um mom and dad you know okay so now we're dealing with the the red panda and we you know we'd learn all about the history of the family and this other sort of tragic thing which i think you know is is a sort of another example of sort of how parents can kind of bungle this time in their children's life is you know oh they say it's just temporary but they put her in this empty blank room you know this sort of (laughs) implication being like well your emotions are are gonna come out and you're gonna destroy everything you can't be trusted yeah oh my gosh just to Mm -hmm. for for a child who may is still a child to essentially be told that and she obviously she overhears them um her mother say something pretty devastating as well this sort of sense of like you know no one can see her that way mm-hmm. and like i didn't want this for her or like something like yes. that yes yeah so yeah. then it's like this this shame 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 of if your emotions are coming out it is a problem mm-hmm. and it is something that must be like isolated and hidden what this movie did a really good job of doing is 
showing how there is the like the shame and the like hush hush about emotions while also being really like validating of emotions which I Mm -hmm. think is how we were taught to handle emotions growing up around that time which is like it is okay that you're angry just stop being angry (laughs) you know so there was this like like, Like, validation but also like don't do it yeah or like Mm -hmm. it's okay that you're sad but like here's how you stop being sad or it's okay that you're nervous here's how you stop being nervous Right. Let's stop crying. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, uh yeah. Like, yeah. Take a deep breath and talk to me calmly, Mm -hmm. which like, again, totally fine. However, the way that we say it sometimes can undermine the acceptance of it. So. Right. It's, it's invalidating. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've used this example before, which is when a child comes up to a parent and they're crying and the parent says, don't be sad. Now that's a loving technically validating moment however what you have told your child in that moment is this feeling that you're having don't do it and the brain doesn't know how to separate don't fail your class don't hit your brother don't be sad your brain doesn't know how to tell those apart Mm -hmm. and we put them all in the same category and then oftentimes like you just described like parents are humans and the way that they try to manage it putting her in this empty room just reinforces like how bad it is. Yeah. Which is supposed to be helpful and is lovely that they're, they are such a great family. It's just a bummer how they do it. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and this is sort of like the phrase that they use it, that there's a quote unquote, there's a darkness to the panda, right? This sort of implication Mm -hmm. that if you let your feelings out too much or too often, they sort of become too much for you to handle. Mm -hmm. And the sort of, overarching Mm -hmm. lesson being like you have to kind of keep all that stuff inside like you got to clamp down and and you know Mm -hmm. be in a room with no colors (laughs) this sort of sense of hiding all of that stuff and and i think it's really really damaging because you know obviously you and i are therapists and we we talk to people about you know oh when when did you learn that your emotions were, when did you start assuming that your emotions were too much for other people to handle? I can't tell you how many people mm-hmm. I've, I've talked to where it's like, oh, well, I don't want to tell, you know, my husband or my wife or my partner or my parents or my kids or whoever what I'm feeling because I don't want it to be a burden on them. And I think that this mm-hmm. is something, whether we are actually taught it or just sort of, you know, through the sorts of things we're talking about with parenting, um, like implicitly taught that these intense emotions are too much for other people that if you're open or you're honest about how you're feeling that that's going to cause problems for you yeah i imagine that's something that you see in in therapy as well oh absolutely this idea of being too much or being a burden comes up all the time and i think i had a soup i know i had a supervisor one time who was talking about a case with me and said When we don't share those parts of ourselves, we rob our friends the opportunity of being friends. I love that. Because that's exactly what May gets to experience, right? Yes, it's exactly what she gets to experience. And it's so true, right? Like, we ourselves say like, God, I wish they had just told me. But when those tables are turned, Mm -hmm. we don't tell people, right? Because we think we're a burden. We think it's burdensome in the same way that they do. And in those moments, we are robbing friends the opportunity to be a friend. Yeah, and it's so uh, I, I, you know, as a therapist, so frustrating because you see her 
learn that she can calm the panda down that first morning she -hmm. takes a deep breath she gets back into bed she gets under the cover she takes that deep breath and the panda disappears Mm -hmm. just imagine i mean this movie could have ended right there if it was like mom and dad guess what like i turned into a panda this morning and it was crazy but then i got back into bed and i took some deep breaths and i brushed my face with combs and now i'm back to me again isn't that amazing and then it's like, yes, that is amazing. We're so proud of you. Like, we'll we'll keep talking about how to control your emotions, but but also how to express them and embrace them. Mm-hmm. Yay! Happy ending. <laughs> Cut to credits. Like, yeah, the movie's over. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what's really lovely about obviously what you're pointing out that like why it doesn't happen is because it's not that easy, right? Like, we can't just like, right. of course. Of oh, course. great, deep breath, and now it's fine. And I think a really great way that they illustrated that was. She used the brushes to like calm herself down in one of those earlier scenes. And then later when yep. something happens, I think when it's mom shows up at school and she runs home, mom walks into her room and she's like frantically brushing her face with these combs. And what I really liked about that was I was like, yes, that is a great representation of how calming tools are just that. They're tools. They're not solutions. Right. So deep breathing, meditation, counting backwards, grounding, that stuff is a tool that can help calm you like it does for her the first time. However, it's not Mm -hmm. the solution. So it's not like if I do this, I will definitely calm down. Um, And she learns that with the brushes is it worked the first time it did not work the second time. Well, right. And, And some of those other sort of techniques actually help her process the emotions feel them and 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 let them out in ways that kind of help her get to the other side of them and then the the panda disappears on its own right it's not Mm -hmm. because of this tool that she used but because she actually uh it was okay for her to be angry or sad or scared or whatever Mm -hmm. and then in 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 saying that and in it being validated by her friends especially early on she i think she says the first time her friends come into her little empty room like something feels different and it's through that validation and the acceptance that her friends give her that it's just like yeah we we see the panda like it's no big deal like obviously they were shocked and confused at first but Mm -hmm. but immediate acceptance which i just i just loved as sort of like a model for you know what what friends can be in a in a more ideal sort of uh process of emotional awareness yeah well and i think at that age if you have a friend group like this one, they mm-hmm. are pretty understanding of the you stuff. The things that fights become about are exactly what the fight became about in this movie, which was like, you let me get in trouble or like you didn't stand up for me or, you know, things yeah. like that. But the like, I'm weird. Friends at that age are like, cool, you're my friend. I don't care. <laughs> um, and that was really shown in this group. Yeah, and 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 I I loved her friend group. You know, they're very individualized. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we we even if we didn't get a lot of picture into like into their lives, into their experiences, I think we get enough of their, you know, idiosyncrasies to see like they are obviously so supportive and encouraging of one another no matter what their respective interests and things like that are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and of course, they have shared interests as well. Um, you know, especially with Four Town, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, you know, which which felt like a really great generic boy band name that reminded me of 
several obscure boy bands that that existed during that time. <laughs> I thought it was the question that the mom asked was like a very legitimate question of like, why is it called Four Town if there's five of them? And I was like, that is such a good question. What a great adult <laughs> response to something. Yeah. When she asked that, I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> Whereas like the teen response is, oh, mom, <laughs> which is an appropriate teen response. It. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's another of those like classic, you know, parent child examples of um, like, oh, a thing that you're interested in or a thing that, and, and May didn't even express her own interest in the band. It was like, oh, some kids at school like them. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that does kind of show up with this, like her kind of brushing it off on like, not me, but them mm-hmm. is that there is this pressure to be perfect right she says in the mirror at one point something along the lines of like you're the love of her life or like something like that you're the most important thing to her or something like that and now I want to be very aware that like there are obviously cultural expectations and traditions and family patterns that I can't speak to and I don't believe you can you would say that you could speak to them either however in general there also is this sense where like she hasn't mom hasn't given may the base to kind of explore her identity, particularly as a third culture child. And a note that I took was actually later on in the movie, but I think it applies here now is this theme of parents taking a child's choice personally. And so like my Mm, daughter would never like this pop trash. Well, yeah, they would because they're young and that's what's popular now like it's it's not for you mom <laughs> like yeah. just because right. you think that like hanging out in the temple together is fun does not mean that your daughter thinks it's fun yeah and i was glad that you went back to that scene because that was a note that i made as well that this was such an interesting example of how a uh, a shaming event can sort of like initiate some really damaging self-talk, mm-hmm. right? So that was after the mom confronted the boy in the convenience store, right? Mm-hmm. And May, you know, is screaming into her pillow in her bedroom and talking to herself in the mirror. And she, you know, she calls herself a sicko. You know, what were you thinking? Yeah. Um, why would you draw those things? So she's taking what she loved and what she was excited about. And then after this experience with her mother is is hating herself, is really mad at herself for mm-hmm. letting herself feel those things. Mm-hmm. And then in conjunction with that is this sort of inner dilemma with uh, her honoring her mother in particular. Right. Mm-hmm. She's she's tearfully apologizing to her mom in her bedroom and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of talking about you know how you know you are her pride and joy act like Mm -hmm. it all these things and it's just like man like if there was ever a moment where it's like you know i wonder if her toronto eighth grade school has like a school counselor that would (laughs) (laughs) hear about the panda stuff going on and (laughs) be like hey may you know what let's why don't you come and talk to me about what's going on with the this all this panda stuff i'm hearing about so funny because it's just so there's so much happening that's not going to be resolved by the fight in, with the pandas at the mm-hmm. end of the concert that there are things that are going to need to be dealt with for yeah. a while probably and yeah. also what you see in those scenes is the pressure of 
a parent suggesting that their child may be infallible as well. Like that actually is pressure on the child because clearly they're human and they are fallible. And so if a parent, which her mom does, it's like, basically she's like, you know, clearly this is the boy's fault because you would never do that. And she says it at another point at the party. She goes like Mm -hmm. to the friends, like clearly this is you guys because may would never do that. Now, a, yes, yes, yes. I love a parent that automatically wants to be on their child's side. I love that. However, like you have to remember that your child is a human. Like they're going to grow up. They're going to make mistakes. They're going mm-hmm. to have questions. They're not going to want everything that you want. And so really kind of allowing space for that can be really hard as a parent because what we've been told is that if something makes you nervous, just control it, right? So if you feel nervous about your child having to grow up in this world of boy bands and social media in a few years and et cetera and et cetera, like you're going to want to control it by being like, be here at this time, get these grades, do this activity, come home, clean this, talk to yeah. your dad, talk to me, have dinner, right? And the more you try to control it, whether it's the red panda or the more you try to control it, it's your daughter, the harder it is to control, the less control you have. Yeah. And, you know, they, and they, they test her, right? Oh, well, you, you claim you can control the panda. Okay, let's put you through the ringer. Let's, um, you know, show you your, your second grade spelling test and your, mm-hmm. um, or your, your, or your second place uh, spelling, like spelling bee trophy, mm-hmm. you know, the cute kittens. And I think this, for me, this raised another very interesting theme that we got, which is the sort of idea of negative emotions and like joyful or, or, or loving emotions, like all being sort of equally dangerous in the sense that they brought uh-huh. the panda out. And I have to imagine that you had thoughts about that as well, because I know we, we run into like, quote unquote, negative emotion frameworks all the time. Yeah, I think that no emotion is negative or positive. It's only or bad or yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. only how it engages with your world, right? Like if you are confronted mm-hmm. with a bear, I hope you feel fear because that's what's going to keep you safe. That's right. So my reaction to that was um, I was like, how sad would life be if we were calm all the time? Yeah, if you can't be excited at a box of kittens, when can you be excited? Yeah. And also like my favorite example to give people is that like anger is one of my favorite emotions because that's how change Mm. happens. Like Martin Luther King, angry man, Nelson Mandela, angry man. And what I love about that is what they did was they had this anger and then they decided how they were going to use it. And that's what I think is, is a great lesson is Um, Which she kind of does, right? She starts to figure out like, okay, I've got this red panda. How am I going to use it? And she found places where it was really beneficial to use it. And then she learned that like doing the same thing in every situation isn't great, right? So at the party, being the center of attention, taking photos, all that stuff became exhausting. And so if you scream every time you're angry, that's not going to work for you. Or if you cry every time you're sad, that's also not going to work for you. And being really crying is kind of a hard one because we sort of have control over it, but we also sort of don't have control over it. It's like one of those middle ground ones. Whereas like yelling, 
we always have control over, um, unless it's like a reactive warning. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that that was a really kind of interesting way for them to represent, like figuring out how to use these emotions or how to react to these emotions in a really meaningful way. Well, not only that, but I I loved that the sort of choice to have the panda not be a secret to the rest of her friends, right? Like Mm -hmm. as soon as the other classmates find out about the panda, the whole school, you know, as soon as the other classmates find out about the panda and they like think it's cute and they love it, they want to hug her, her immediate response is, you guys like the panda? Mm -hmm. And I, I felt that because it was like, you guys like me even when I'm not feeling like my, myself or not in mm-hmm. control or not. And it's like, yeah, like we love that side of you. We love this side of you. Yeah. And I, I could relate to that as a, as an eighth grade through high schooler too, because I was, I was the quiet, calm kid all the time who just kind of kept to himself. And it wasn't until, you know, college and post-college and now, doing crazy things like stand-up comedy where it's like oh i can i can do all of those things yeah and be like (laughs) it's like oh you people like that yeah yeah (laughs) that i just think is such a good it's a good message yeah yeah i think it's a great message and i was the opposite like i never in my whole life have ever known how to shut my mouth (laughs) Mm. yeah i think this whole thing was kind like the the embracing explicitly was what made me kind of wonder, is it about the process of becoming an adult in general, or was it specifically about menstruation and having a period? Because the director, I believe you said that she was like, I really wanted to create a movie that would let people talk about menstruation and periods. And to me, the first like, five minutes of the panda situation was like very like period centric, but then suddenly like it explicitly became not about that. So it was shocking to me when you said like, Oh, that's the intention was because I was like, I felt like it took a sharp left turn to just like general growth experience, like general puberty experience. And I know obviously we can extend the metaphor to like a comfort with talking about periods and not being embarrassed about them and things like that. There was actually a post that I saw on Instagram the other day where a teacher said that like in class, a 14 year old girl held up a tampon and just like silently waved it. And the teacher nodded her so she could (laughs) go out the room. Oh, yeah. One of the boys spoke up and said, did she just wave a tampon in the air to ask to go to the bathroom? And the teacher was like, I got ready to be defensive and was like, yes. So and the teenage boy responded. That's the coolest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, And I do think that not everywhere and stories like this make us think that it's happening all the time, but it's not. But I think that like in our culture, we are getting more comfortable with like, this is a natural human experience for minimum half the population and the importance of accepting it if not embracing it, I kind of feel like it should be, you know, like we don't embrace needing to like go to the bathroom pee. So like, I don't think we should need to embrace going to the bathroom to change a tampon, but that's kind of where I'm kind of getting off track here a little bit, but that's kind of where the, like that intense embracing of the Panda made me think like, Oh, it's just about like the human experience in general. 
Yeah. So, so yes, the director did say, she said, I just wanted to give this movie to that 13 year old me who was very confused and never got the talk from her mom Mm -hmm. and who was in the bathroom freaking out like May is in the movie when Mm -hmm. she first turns into a red panda. Uh, My hope is that this starts those conversations and that we can eventually just normalize talking about puberty and menstruation and not feel so weird about it. Mm -hmm. But until then, please watch this entertaining movie about a red panda running through Toronto. So I think this is kind of touches on your point, which is that they, they get up pretty close to having a very frank an honest conversation about what this experience is. And then they follow the red panda running through Toronto. Mm -hmm. So then I guess, so what she said was like, I want to suggest that we can have these conversations, which I think she absolutely did. She didn't have the conversation. She she suggested that we can have the conversations. Yes. Yes. And if and if we're looking for a place to start and a place that that still encourages conversations about managing and regulating our emotions and embracing our, our feelings and our experiences, that this is this is a, a really good place to start that, you know, I think there's and, and you know, I, I sort of uh, talked about this in up front that people have a lot of different feelings about this movie. Mm-hmm. I was going to say hot take. Yeah, well, it's it's and and for for different reasons, right? Whether it's like you know, is it addressing uh, the sort of period menstruation experience enough or not at all? Is it quote unquote representing uh, a, a wide enough scope of people? Um, mm. All these sorts of things, and and I think um, you know what gets lost is this just experience of this time in your life as a eighth grader, as a thirteen year old is a a crazy one Mm -hmm. and that if nothing else what this movie does is it takes things that are crazy about that time in our lives and it and it makes it it, obviously it's using this sort of like hits you over the head with this turning into a red panda metaphor but it also i think makes it very accessible and that's i think that's why i really liked it which Mm -hmm. was um you know, I was able to kind of what I feel like kind of follow the threads and I don't know, I was consistently engaged with what they were doing with May's emotional experience. Yeah. My hot take was going to be, if you want a movie about emotions, go watch Inside Out. <laughs> um, I, as totally. you know, but our audience does not yeah. know, was not super entertained by this movie. Um, it took me about three and a half hours to watch it because I kept on <laughs> pausing it to go doing to go do literally anything else. Um, like I organized my kitchen drawer at one point, not because it's a bad movie by any means. Like I think it's it's a very good movie. I just my take on it is that it's not meant for me. Like I was like, okay, this is a children's movie, which obviously like all animated movies essentially are. But there's just Pixar and Disney Animation Studios have done such a good job, basically, over the last 20 years of making animated films for everyone that when now, obviously, I fall in the like category of people in this movie. So this is my opinion. But so when a movie to me is like just all right, it falls on the lower end of their movies because all their other movies are so good 
And I just kind of personally feel that like Pixar lately is not living up to their potential. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, it's a good problem to have because it means your standards are so high yeah. and, and movies have been so, so incredible yeah. that, yeah, that, that even a very solid movie like Turning Red can feel like, as, as you're describing it, sort of feel like it's missing something. If you Google search Turning Red, there are absolutely wild reviews and controversies around, you know, people who don't feel it's, uh, you know, it's too limited in scope, let's say, was a, was a very particular negative criticism. Let's just be direct with that. That was yeah. a racist yeah. review. Yes, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so this 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 one gentleman, uh, apparently because he couldn't see himself in the movie, felt like it was not for him. Um, but Which if you like can't every watch... every other movie for every other person. I know. <laughs> well, right. Like, if, if you can't watch a bunch of eight, eighth graders uh, go through awkward adolescence and say, I recognize myself in some of this experience, then you're not watching the movie. Because I watched that... Tyler's birthday party uh-huh. and oh my gosh I was at that birthday party yeah you know I was probably in the corner and Tyler is so <laughs> relatable yes well right so Tyler who's you know he's portrayed as a bully but he also like clearly has these other sides to him because humans are dynamic yeah, he wants to be a part of the panda experience. He wants to be popular. He wants to be liked. He's also a third culture kid because at the party totally. when you hear yeah. his dad talk, his dad has like a Caribbean accent of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so a very, a very, and and you know, I think that's one of the things that this movie does really well is that it's it's very diverse, right? Mm-hmm. You could look at all the kids in the class, and and you could you could find yourself somewhere. Not that that's necessary, but but that's why I found these particular criticisms so surprising because you know whether you literally saw your face at, in the party or not, I mean, these experiences are are very relatable. So this is so funny. You know what it feels like? It feels like if somebody watched the original Robin Hood and would be like. I can't relate because I'm not a fox. <laughs> uh, yes, sure, <laughs> sure. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I just think you know, uh, and, you know, the the director. I was, uh, and this is another sort of quote from her. She says the the film is a love letter to that time of our lives. It's a love letter to puberty, and of course, obviously, it's a love letter to her own adolescence in Toronto. Which, mm-hmm. and you get all of that. Yeah, and I I, I won't lie, I really liked this movie. You know, I, I I'm on the same page with you in terms of Inside Out being like the sort of more peak specifically emotions. representation. Yeah. yeah, well, especially in the ways that it, it it delved into the sort of inner workings of things. But what I liked about this um, about Turning Red was we got more of the external emotional experience. Mm-hmm. So the effect that it has on the world. What's it like to have those emotions with your family, with your friends, mm-hmm. you know, all of these different things. So I, I really enjoyed the ride even, you know, and then we can kind of get into the, the, the sort of Disneyfication happy ending of like, you know, generational trauma with this family mm-hmm. where obviously it's, it's grandmother to mother to child, you know, to the aunts, all of these women in this family dealing with this quote unquote inconvenience. And then, you know, they they have the the very much like superhero type battle in the in the Four Town concert. And then, you know, uh they're able to push the pandas either 
back into the jewels, mm-hmm. or in May's case, she decides to embrace her panda and and doesn't banish it is sort of what it feels like the other women do mm-hmm. and then it's a happy ending because her and her family are all now on the same page and and isn't that great <laughs> yeah and i think that representation at the end of like the the older generations kind of putting their pandas back into jewelry and every other things that were around and yep. may choosing not to really represents how as generational culture changes the way that we engage with different things change you know like in the 50s no woman would have ever been seen by her husband without makeup on now like barely any millennials even wear makeup in public <laughs> and it's just kind of how generations change and embrace more in different things yeah it's so funny cuz i i I said to you, I was surprised that the mm-hmm. older Lee women didn't also embrace their panda because I think that's this is like a me thing where it's like, oh, like if my daughter's into something, you know, as she grows up, like I'll totally be able to like be on that level with her and um, like understand why she's doing things the way that she's doing. And it's just it's just a, a, a faint hope that I have of being able to relate to a teenager, even if I'm in my 40s. And also her mom does ultimately kind of relate to her and still continues to do it her own way, which I think is that's true. So there's there's a middle ground. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. As long as it's inclusive and and loving. Right. Which, of course, each their own. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, putting aside the the ongoing like I'm very curious if this is a movie that would get a number two. Right. Because if we're acknowledging that these pandas have now been on the news and obviously she's known throughout her school as the girl that can turn into a red panda. Uh Like life's going to get weird for her, (laughs) you know, like forget just puberty. Like she's going to be, uh, like a celebrity. I hope like the scientific community doesn't try to get a hold of her. Like this turning red too could go in a lot of different directions. It really, really can. It seems like the, (laughs) like the, the tie up at the end was like, and we still talk about Pandapocalypse, but we've all moved on. Like, that's kind of how it seems. Yeah. So like, oh, okay, cool. Which life does just move on. Oh, we all know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, and, and, and look, I mean, this is a, a common note that we've hit with most of the Disney movies we've talked about, which is that, you know, uh, whether it's trauma or, or deep um, family dynamic issues, you know, they need to tie things up at the end. That's just how these movies end. So whether May and her mother have a lot of work to do left um, or not, um, or whether May is obviously going to continue to experience challenges uh, embracing her panda or not, you know, this this story for this person is far from over, Mm -hmm. just like it would be if May were coming to see you or I in therapy. It would be just the beginning of her her journey of sort of emotional self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you first on a scale of, God, there were so many good references in this movie. How can I pick just one Um, on a scale of one to five deadly games of dodgeball that no longer exist (laughs) in school? Oh, right. Uh, As far as I know, dodgeball is no longer allowed. I, uh, well, that's maybe a no. conversation for another day. Yeah, no, we, I played dodgeball in 2018 at the school that I was at. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's but I'm it's glad with those to hear like that. softballs, not with the like hard plastic ones sure. that we used to play with. <laughs> the hard rubber. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That could put a put a hole in a glass window. Yes. So on a scale of one to five uh, dodgeball games, um, how accurate did you find turning red, Haley? I found it like a three and a half to a four dodgeball games accurate. And the reason why is because I think there was a lot of obviously great stuff that we've talked about. The This idea of how shaming emotions can make them harder to deal with and how a parent-child relationship can put strain on both the parent and the child. Um, the process of puberty in general, I think they did a pretty good job. I think there were some glaring issues. Well, I also think they did a really good mm. job with like third culture totally. identity exploration, right? Like wanting to like the the boy band and the soap opera, right? Um, and like mom yeah, not really sure. understanding that. And I think there were some glaring issues as well. So this like everything was fine and then one day everything changed. That's not how it happens. And I think the way that we talk about right. puberty in our culture, that's how we suggest it happens. Like they even kind of did that in Inside Out, right? Which like they hit this button and now it has started. Whereas like the actual process is that it's this like slow growth into chaos for a while, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also kind of felt that obviously the like just kind of tying a bow on it at the end always yeah. kind of just like throws a wrench into representation of those things. I don't think that while they did explore like third culture kid identity stuff, I don't think that they kind of processed that effectively enough. And then there were also a couple moments where there was like social struggles, whether it was like she got in a fight with a friend or she was getting bullied by that kid at school or things like that, that it was just kind of like brushed over fairly easily, either because we're at this concert or because you're a panda that um, I think really undermines what is sometimes usually the largest struggle of puberty is your social relationships. And I think that that is really missing from this experience. Interestingly enough, the like positive emphasis on social relationships is very much there, but unfortunately it's not that simple. Reactions, thoughts? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, because one of the characters that we hadn't talked about that I wanted to give a shout out to on on the sort of accuracy side of things was May's dad. Because <laughs> throughout this story, he is, you know, trying to feel May out in, in this experience and and validate her. Yeah, kind of give her exactly what we're wanting mom. Yeah. Yeah, he's so good. You know, after he tur she turns into the panda, he says, you know, red is a lucky color. And like, you know, sort of like, hey, it's going to be okay. And, you know, he kind of, you know, when he sees the video of the the music video he yeah, she made with her friends when that. she was a panda, he's just like, this is so great. Mm -hmm. Like, you're doing such amazing things with this experience. And then, you know, he acknowledges, you know, I, I told you your mother was was big as a panda. And like, well, not that big. I just and he's a mm -hmm. chef or, or at least a very good home cook. Mm -hmm. Like, I just loved that representation because yeah. I think that is both so important. And in many cases, you know, you do get different parents who respond to the emotional ups and downs of their kids mm -hmm. in different ways. So yeah. I think that 
that that in particular, I liked that representation and the accuracy of that felt really important. You're to me. so right. And he had such a good acceptance line. Yes. So he said, sometimes you just need to make room for it and learn how to live with it. Mm, um, which I was yeah, like, yeah, that's all she needed. <laughs> we all have these experiences that we would ideally have go differently. However, like not in our control. So how do we want to live with it? And not live with it in a resignation way, but live with it in an act. Yep. So on a scale of five doodle notebooks, how entertaining mm. did you think Turning Red was? So I, I asked my daughter, because we watched it together, mm-hmm. um, as soon as we were done watching it, sort of what her rating was. Um, and she gave it a four out of five. Okay. And I think I'm on the same page with her. I, one of the things I really liked about this was how funny it was like you know i was i was rewatching it today and the the argument between may and her mother when may is the when may's mother is the giant panda mm-hmm. and may is the little panda and she says you know she says i lied you know i'm not your little may may anymore and this and this conversation felt like a really good representation of like a parent child confrontation as as well as a just like a really funny and poignant moment because may may says she says i like gyrating and she shakes her little panda body and i'm just and i just i loved how they handled this sort of uh confrontation that can happen between parents and kids because even the the mom and the giant as a giant panda coming in to break up the concert felt very accurate to me. Like like a mom breaking up a party that she didn't know was at her house. Mm-hmm. I just like, man, this feels so close to something that I've experienced that I, I just really liked it. And, and, and um, I thought it was funny. Now the, why I didn't get a five for me is that I think the thing that Pixar and, and Disney to a large degree often hits maybe a little bit harder is like, I think we sort of identify that the more move, the more this movie moved into like the panda story and the less mm-hmm. it dealt with like some of the real raw, mm-hmm. uh, you know, changes May was going through. Um, we lost something there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I, I lost something a little bit as well. I agree. That's why it's not a full five, like an inside out or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a Coco, yeah. you know, I'm thinking Encanto, about other movies yeah. from Disney oh. Pixar where well, I was just like yeah. in tears. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's some of those other movies did that a little bit better. But but that's not, again, I, for me, that's not a mark against this movie. I think this is a different kind of movie yeah. and that uh, a one that I still really liked. Yeah, I think exactly what you just spoke about is what led me to be like, oh, this movie is not for me. Because mm. it became more about like this girl who's a magical panda. And I was like, OK, that's, yeah, that's fun yeah, and yeah. cute. Sure. <laughs> right. Because it, it, it kind of seemed like yep. it left the metaphor. Yep. So like. The what I think, and it's what you just described, like what Pixar and Disney Animation Studios do really well is having either details and metaphor that are so relatable to adults that even though it's a child's movie, it's still a movie for adults. This one, I felt that like it started that way. And then, like you said, kind of went into that storyline. For me, it was still fun enough, even with the panda giant panda battle that i was still i was still interested in. i was still engaged so yeah did you watch it with bryn i did yeah i think that plays a huge role you know right because she was up and dancing and she was laughing yeah. and i think that something about that 
makes it a little bit of a different experience. Because oh, yeah. I could never turn on Mickey Mouse Club and watch it by myself. But if my niece mm-hmm. and nephew are watching it, like I can watch two hours of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's there's something there's something there. Yeah. Awesome. So thanks for another episode. And please check us out again uh, next week when we come back with something new for you. Bye. Bye.